Thanks, Mona. Our passage for tonight is Ephesians 5:15 through 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for uh, this time to join together. God, as we open your word, we ask um, that you would work in our lives to apply this word to our lives. Um, God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, um, that we would rightly understand and rightly um, apply the word of God to our lives. God, that you would use that this to um, to make us into your people, um, that you would continue to um, draw us closer to Christ and make us more like him uh, in everything that we do. God, we uh, we ask a prayer um, specifically um, for for other churches in Blount County. God, we pray for um, God, each gospel believing congregation um, that uh, is ministering in, in our community. God, we ask for your blessing. Um, God, we want to see revival in our time. Uh, we want to see your gospel go forth. God, and we are not... Um, God, we don't just want to see that in our church, although certainly we want um, this to be a place where the gospel is preached and, and people are helped um, and people come to know Jesus Christ. God, we recognize that we are... Um, brothers and sisters with uh, many other congregations in this county. Um, and so, God, we ask that your, um, your life-giving, um, saving work would go throughout every gospel-believing church in, in Blount County. God, that you would push back against the, um, God, the evil, um, dare we say demonic, um, spirit of our age, um, the things that draw us apart um, and and fight against um, God, what you have intended for us, um, the good that you have for your people, um, God, we ask that we would be lights in the darkness, just like we talked about last week. Um, that we would not um, be partakers um, in wickedness, but that we would uh, be lights that expose that wickedness. That um, as people see um, their separation from you. Um, that they would uh, turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. God, help us to do that. Help us to be um, witnesses and and messengers and agents um, of your gospel in our community. Uh, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, so if you've got your Bible, again, if you're not already there, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And so tonight's message is called, Be Careful and Be Filled. So I don't like the beach. Um, or at least I don't like the beach now. 
Um, I used to like the beach. I used to love to go to the beach. And then I had kids. And I don't, I don't like going to the beach that much anymore. And there's a specific reason for that. It's because going to the beach with kids is a very different experience than going as a single person or as a couple or something like that. Um, and that's basically because it's, it's kind of a nightmare, okay? Because this is what always happens. This happens every single time, every incident you are at the beach, this same thing will happen every single time. So I'll be sitting there playing on the beach with James, you know? We're just sitting there having a good father-son time maybe building sandcastles or, or looking at shells or whatever, right? India and Alice are playing out in the water, right? And so I look down, and I'm focusing on James for a minute, and then I look up, and what happens? You've all done it. You've all been there. India and Alice are gone, right? They're gone. And so immediately, heart rate, you know, and it, and it elevates immediately. You start scanning the water and the beach or whatever. They're not there, right? You're looking through the crowd. They're not there. You're looking through. You don't see them anywhere. And so immediately you're like, are, have they drowned? Have they been kidnapped? Alien abduction? Like whatever. Where, where have they gone, right? And then you scan uh, 50 yards down the beach And there they are playing in the water down the beach, right? Probably all of you have experienced that if you've been to the beach with kids that you were responsible for, right? Um, The reason why the kids end up down halfway down the beach is because of this thing called the longshore current, right? Probably most of us are aware of that. There's this current that runs parallel to the beach, and it's always going, and it's always pushing things down the beach. And if you're not paying attention, it just sort of naturally carries you that way, right? You just sort of like look up, and then all of a sudden you realize, man, I'm, half, I'm, I'm way down the beach um, from where I, where I was. Life has longshore currents in it, right? Um, life has these gradual, imperceptible kind of inertia um, that pulls us not towards God, Right. Not towards holiness, but toward we'll just say this toward mediocrity. Right. It it, it may pull us sometimes towards blatant sin, but 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 that's not honestly what we're going to be talking about exactly today. We're going to be talking about it pulling us towards towards mediocrity. Um, It it just pulls us toward uh, away from what is good and best towards what is is just kind of par for the course. Right. So like we talked about last week or two weeks ago, there are sins that are ugly sins, right? And, and a lot of those are almost like reflex sins, right? We find ourselves slipping into them without even meaning to. And so they could be anger or self-righteousness or critical attitudes, right? Like we don't mean to. We're not sitting there thinking at the beginning of the day, I'm going to go out and be critical of everybody that I see. But then when something happens, we just, we reflex into those sins. And we know they're ugly and we don't like those things about ourselves. We certainly recognize them in other people. We recognize them in ourselves. Um, um, but we don't want to be that way, right? And so then last week we talked about, then there are these other kinds of sins that are more like fun sins, okay? Uh, and, they're, and, they're, and they're sins that we enjoy. Um, they're sins that the Scripture kind of talks about us dabbling in, partaking of, right? Oftentimes they're the kind of things that we go, you know, maybe I know that this is not what is best for me, but you know what, a little bit couldn't be too bad, right? I'm just going to do this, and, and, and certainly God won't begrudge me a little bit of enjoyment, a little bit of fun, um, uh, uh, even if technically the Bible says I shouldn't do these things, okay? But then I think there are also these sins that is just a function of drift, right? It's a function of trajectory in our lives. Um, it comes from just not paying attention, right? Just living passively and allowing those currents 
to dictate the way our lives go. And that's not the way that God has intended us to live, right? We're not supposed to be people who are dictated by these forces around us. We're supposed to be people who are actively working against those things. And so, so Paul has warned us in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Actually, we're not even at 6 yet, just 4 and 5. He said this thing about walking several times, right? He keeps on using his illustration of walk carefully. Be careful how you walk. Um, you should walk in a way that honors God or whatever, right? He's used it five. This will be the fifth occurrence in this passage. And what does he say? He says, be careful how you walk. Now, I may be putting a little too much of our English context on this, but even that word, be careful, when you tell somebody to be careful, you're typically not warning them about something that you know they're going to do on purpose, right? Like you don't warn a kid to, you know, Ayla Shreve, who uh, is, is, is a member um, of our congregation and comes a lot of times. Uh, she's one of India's friends. She broke her nose this last week on a trampoline, right? She was doing something on a trampoline. She came down and hit the metal on her nose, cracked it, had to have surgery and all this stuff, right? No fun, okay? I'm sure the case is, is that her parents have told her, be careful on a trampoline. She didn't go out there going, I'm going to break my nose today. Watch this. She went out there just to have a good time, and something happened, and she broke her nose, right? Um, We tell people to be careful, not for things that they are intentionally going to do, but for things that they don't realize are going to happen. And so Paul says again, there's an aspect of this walking worthily thing where he says, be careful how you walk, right? Because if you're not careful, not attentive, then you may slip into things that you didn't even realize you were going to slip into. So in verse 15, Paul says, therefore... Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So wisdom is, in in, in one context, it's about applied ethics, right? It's about understanding what is actually going on in the situation you're in and then living out the principles that we find in God's Word, right? And so wisdom's a big topic in the Scriptures. The the Scriptures talk a lot about wisdom, especially in the Old Testament. Um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Uh, Job are all books about wisdom, right? In some way, they're about being wise in terms of the way we live out our Christian faith or Jewish faith in that sense um, in the world. And so uh, let's look at a couple things here. And I think this is, is, is the, 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 what Paul's getting at. It's, it's, we're we're going to try to look at this thing in terms of saying the, the way Paul warns us are he's, he's warning us of unwise trajectories, okay? He's warning us of unwise currents that are running in our lives, things to be careful of. And then Paul, at the end of the, the passage, is going to give us a picture of what it would look like if we were spirit-filled people who were living according to the currents of being spirit-filled. Does that make sense? So we're going to give a couple of negative examples, and then we're going to give sort of this picture of positive examples, okay? So let's start in verse 16. So the first kind of unwise current, right? The first, the first thing that he's talking at, looking at, that can happen without us even realizing is this. He says, verse 16, make the most of your time because the days are evil. So one thing you notice when you read the New Testament is this. Um, first century Christians seem to believe that Christ's return is imminent, right? That it is going to be any day now, all right? So... Um, There is this, in many places, especially in Paul's writings, there is this um, critical task at hand because the time is short. And so Paul's saying, man, we've got to be people who are taking the gospel out and and telling the good news because Jesus is going to be back any day now, certainly probably within our lifetimes, all right? So we must be people who are about the things of God right now. Um, Don't worry about lesser concerns. Don't even worry about good things. 
things that are lesser concerns. And so there's places where, like he talks to married couples and he says, hey, married people, live as if you're unmarried in a sense, right? Live as if you were a single person whose goal is to get the gospel out to the world, okay? Um, and so there's just these various kind of places where you get that feeling from the text. But then here's the problem, obviously. Here we are 2,000 years later, right? Jesus has not returned. Um, we... Uh, we continue to live our lives pretty much the way we always have um, in, in many ways, right? And so that urgency de- declines. But here's the thing. Obviously, the case is this. At one, the urgency shouldn't decline because Jesus could come tomorrow just as much as he could have come tomorrow 2,000 years ago, first off. And then also, that urgency is not just a function of Jesus returning. It's also a function of us going to Jesus, right? Because at any any moment... Any one of us could leave this earth and go to be with Jesus, or at least go to stand before Jesus. And so there should be an urgency there, not only on us as as individuals, but for us to care about taking the message of the gospel and and any other good thing to people, because we don't know what kind of time we have. And so Paul is is suggesting to us, he's saying, listen, um, make the most of your time. One way you could say it is make the most of your opportunity. Seize every opportunity that you have. You know, the truth is is this, and I think we all recognize this. We almost never regret action. We always regret inaction, right? We look back at our lives and we go, I wish I had done that. Very seldomly do we look back at a decision and go, and obviously there's certain things that are exceptions, blatant sins and ways that we hurt people may be exceptions. But usually just in the sort of the, the, the normal decisions of our lives, we don't look back and say, man, I wish I hadn't done that decision. I wish I'd made a different decision. That's not what we think. We think about the ways in our lives that we didn't do something. And those are the things that, that you know, uh, Work on us, right? Those are the things that continue to um, work regret in our lives, okay? But Paul isn't saying this. He's not saying be careful. He's not saying make the most of every opportunity so that you'll go around feeling guilty about all the things that you didn't do. That's not the intention, right? He's saying be careful and make the most of every opportunity because he's saying there is a job to do, right? And every minute of your life has a job to do. There is always these things that you should be working towards, making the most of your time and opportunities. Why? Well, he says this. He says, because the days are evil. And I, I, we could go into a lot of things and different commentators kind of, that, that's sort of a, kind of a vague phrase. What exactly is he getting at? But I think he's getting at just that idea of that drift, right? He's saying, man, there's this weird thing about the world that it keeps on pulling you not towards God, but away from God. Okay. And so know that there is a current. And if you don't make the most of every opportunity, you are going to find yourself slipping from this. I didn't tell him I was going to do this and I hope he doesn't get mad. So Tim Moore, um, Tim Moore, um, does something that I think is a great example of this, right? So Tim Moore has kind of, you guys know most of, if you're involved in a small group, um, Tim Moore is kind of like the apostle to the small groups, right? He goes to a bunch of the different, the small groups. Okay. And so he'll, go to like three or four small group every week. Um, And this is the reason why he does that. Um, It's because he says, you know what? I know that in my personality, I have a tendency to be introverted. And so he recognizes that on any given night, like he could easily turn inward on himself. But he goes, that would be a waste of my life, right? It would be a waste of me to sit and, and, and do that. Okay. And so he says, 
I am a student of my own character. I'm a student of my own heart. I know what the situation is. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make the most of my time, right? I'm going to go and be a part of a small group on any night that I'm not doing something else that I need to be doing, right? Just to go be a part of community. Because I know that if I was left to my own personal drift, I would not go in that direction, right? I would go, I would turn inward, I would be isolated or whatever, right? That's, that's a function of wisdom. I'm not saying that Tim is, is perfect in everything, so don't, <laughs> don't be like, oh, well, cool, yeah. Um, but, but I, that's, it's a great example of it, okay? And that's also to say, I'm not looking at all of y'all and saying, so the rest of you, start going to every single small group. That, that's not your current, maybe, right? But the deal is, is that, um, in that area of his life, he said, you know what? This is something that would be wise for me, to live wisely instead of unwisely. And so I hope you're not, not – it's cool that I called you out in front of everybody like that. Uh, you're not supposed to do that as a pastor, but sometimes you just forget to ask somebody if you can use them as an illustration. Um, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most – of every opportunity. That's what the sort of corresponding passage in Colossians. Remember, we talked about Colossians as kind of the companion book to Ephesians. So it's that very idea. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. Um, as you as you engage with your community and meet um, and, and do those things. Okay, so that's the first thing is don't miss opportunities. Two, don't miss the point. Okay, don't miss the point. Verse 17. So then do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. All right? So, I have a middle schooler. Right? Um, India is a middle schooler. I have a middle schooler. I was a middle schooler once upon a time. Okay? We were all middle schoolers once upon a time, unless you're not there yet. Some of you are not middle schoolers yet. But, if, but some of you are there, right? Something happens when you're in middle school. And we all remember it. And we try to warn our own kids, or in my case, the youth kids or whatever, and it doesn't work. You can't be warned. You have to experience it, right? When you're a middle schooler, like things seem super important in your life. Things happen and you go, this event is the end of the world, right? And you know what? It's not, right? Like you go to school one day and you accidentally put two different color socks on and somebody notices and you're like, this is the end of my life. I should just quit it here because it doesn't matter anything else, right? And then you realize, man, it doesn't matter. It certainly doesn't matter 20 years later. It really doesn't even matter that day. But you can't feel that as a middle schooler, right? Man, your emotions are just getting wrapped up in these things and all this stuff, and, and you get anxious about it. The problem is, is this. It's not just middle schoolers that do that, right? We adults do the exact same thing. We just do it with other kinds of stuff, all right? We take these things in our lives and we think, this is super important. I have to live in light of these things. I gotta be this kind of person. I have to, you know, keep up with the standards that the world has set upon me. And this is what we find out as we go through life. We go, man, there's a lot of that stuff that just isn't important. It doesn't make any difference. And the second you step into eternity, you will not even remember it. You will not look back. It will not be referenced. It will be as if it never happened because it is so insignificant. All right? And so Paul says this. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we've talked about this a bunch of times, too. What does it mean when we talk about the will of the Lord in Scripture? Almost always... It means God's saving and sanctifying plan for your life. Like it's not usually talking about 
the subjective decisions of your life, like where you're going to go to college or who you're going to marry. It's not talking about that usually. When the Bible talks about the will of God or the will of the Lord, it's talking about his plan for your salvation and your sanctification. All right, so what does that mean? So when it says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what God is doing in your life, the big, important things that he is working you towards. Understand those things and live your life according to those things. Probably many of us um, are aware of the the court decision that happened this week with um, Botham Jean, I think is the way you say his name. Um, he was the, the man who was killed in Texas. Um, an off-duty police officer walked into his apartment and shot him. She claimed that she thought she was in her apartment and that he was an intruder. And so anyway, over the weekend, this thing happened where um, Botham's brother, um, during the trial, um, uh, basically said to uh, his murderer, I forgive you, uh, and I don't want anything bad for you. I want what is good for you in your life. And the best thing for you to do would be to accept Jesus Christ, turn to Jesus Christ. And there was this emotional scene where they got up and they hugged each other in the courtroom and this whole thing went down and there was just this amazing display of mercy on the part of the murdered man's brother, which was incredible, right? I was on Facebook that's the beginning of the dumb story, right? I was, I was on Facebook, and I was noticing lots of my non-Christian friends, and they were making negative, mocking, sometimes derogatory comments about that young man's mercy. And they were basically saying, this guy's an idiot. Uh, if my brother gets murdered, if I, if, if I get murdered and my brother does that, I'm coming back to haunt him and things like that. Basically saying that this brother had, had um, uh, sullied the, the reputation of his brother, that justice wasn't being served, that he had somehow uh, done something, whatever. Okay, so this is, this is a big picture, but... But that is a, that's missing the point, right? That is not understanding the will of the Lord, right? There's an aspect where looking from the outside, you would go, yeah, man, that's weird. It is weird that the brother of a murdered man would forgive and reach out to and love the, the murderer, right? Um, but that's the gospel, right? That is exactly what has happened to us. Um, and the point was missed by these people. They didn't get it. I'm I'm reminded of the place in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus says this. He says, and and, and the way he prefaces is is incredible. He says, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Okay? He didn't say, though, that, that go learn what this means kind of phrases all the time, right? Because I think there's an implication there that he goes, most of you will not get this. Most of you will not understand this. Most of you will not understand what the will of the Lord is. Because in this situation, mercy was more beautiful than um, justice. All right? And not that... Uh, if, the, if they had thrown the book at the girl and, and the family had just said justice has been served, honestly, that would have been right, okay? But it was beautiful and, and better, and functionally, it was more in keeping with the character of God to see the mercy on behalf of this young man, all right? That's what we're talking about when we say, 
do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You cannot know the will of the Lord if you do not know his word. And so knowing God's heart is a function of knowing what he has told us in his word. So we have to be students of that, right? Or else there's no way we're going to be able to know. We're going to make this foolish drift of living our lives in light of other things and not in light of what God has really made most important in our lives. Okay? And so third, last thing, is don't waste away. So we got three things so far, right? Um, uh, don't, I've lost the wording now, don't miss opportunities, um, don't miss the point, and don't waste away. So verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So I don't think we use the word dissipation a lot anymore. Um, some, some translations, I think, say debauchery, uh, which is a word that we probably use less. Um, it carries two ideas to it, right, this idea of dissipation. It has the idea of indulgence and then also squandering, right, so that you are taking advantage of something, but then you're wasting it. Um, it's sort of like the idea, and we talked about this already a little bit last week, this idea of kind of wild living that leads to a wasted life. Okay, um, the adverb of that, do you remember the story of the prodigal son, right? And it says the prodigal son took his inheritance and went off and squandered it on riotous living. Same word here, right? That it's the adverb form of it, right? He squandered it. He threw it away. He had this good thing and then he let it dissipate, right? And, and disappear. Um, the Bible tells us that certain activities in life are dissipating, right? They're diminishing. They make us less. Sexual sin is connected with dissipation a lot of times. Um, we're told here that drunkenness is dissipation, right? It's indulgent squandering of what God has given us. There are behaviors that waste us. I don't think Paul is using drunkenness specifically because it's any worse than any of the other ways that we dissipate. But he's using it because there's this analogy to the way the spirit works in us. So he's saying, do not fill your body with with something, um, alcohol, drunkenness, something that puts you under its influence and then wastes you away. In some way, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, which has its own influence, right? But an influence that builds up and enriches us. In the end, the picture that we're seeing um, is, again, don't fall into these drifts. Don't drift from opportunities. Don't drift from missing the point. Don't drift into wasting away through the way you live your life. Man, we could talk about any number of things. A couple of years ago, Christy got rid of our TV. I'm not telling you to get rid of your TVs. I'm not saying TVs are evil. You don't have to do what we did. You don't have to do what Tim did. You don't have to do what we did. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, I can tell you this. We wasted a lot of our lives with a TV, right? We were wasting lots of our lives with TV. And Christy basically said, executive decision, we're getting rid of, we didn't actually get rid of our TV. We got rid of our cable, right? And then I was like, but <laughs> college football. And she was like, no, it doesn't matter. You can go to Buffalo Wild Wings. I don't care. Um, but we're not going to have it in the house. And so we don't. And guess what, man? 
I don't waste that time anymore. Again, if you, maybe you're better at it. Maybe you're more um, self-controlled when it comes to those things. Maybe it's something else. But there's all these things that we invite into our lives, and then we, they functionally just waste away. Okay? So Paul says this. I mean, be careful. Right? Be careful of this stuff. You will fall into these traps so easy. But not just be careful. You need to also be filled. Something else needs to take this place. And he just told us what that is. The Holy Spirit needs to come into your life. Right? And you need to live according to the Spirit. Because we, if you're a believer, you already have the Spirit. But you need to live according to that Spirit. And let it change your attitudes, change your outlooks, change your trajectory on all these things. So if we were people who seized opportunities, understood what was truly important, and pursued edification, not dissipation, that would look like something, right? We would look like different kinds of people, right? So going back to the illustration I had at the very beginning of the sermon, right, that, that situation where all of a sudden my kids are, are lost in the water, right? Um, I have been on the other side of that, too. I've been the person in the water who all of a sudden looked up and went, oh, you know, my, my party is way down there. How did I get down here? Okay. And there's something that you do to, to help against that, to fight against that. What do you do? Um, when you're in the water, you look up and you find a landmark, right? You find a spot on the beach that is something that you can look to as a point of reference. So maybe it's a big, bright umbrella, or maybe it's the lifeguard stand, or maybe it's the building you were in front of, right? And you say, that's where I'm supposed to be. And so if you start drifting a little bit to the side, then you go, no, I need to move back up and get that thing back to center, okay? So maybe Paul is saying this, what would that center look like, right? What are the things that we could say, these are attitudes and characteristics that would be out front that I could realign my life to and say, I need to be a person who is realigning to this thing out here. I think we see at least four things right here. Number one, verse 19, he says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he continues, um, and sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord. Okay. Seems like those are two different things. They're not. They're both about singing, right? But the key is to listen to who they're towards. Okay. The first one says, speak to one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? So what I think he's getting at in that first half is this. He's saying, you know what? We should be the kind of people who are talking and speaking to each other in a way that builds up and edifies and teaches, all right? Again, if we look over at Colossians, at sort of the corresponding passages, we get a little clearer picture. In Colossians 3.16, it says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing, uh, admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? So as we sing these songs to each other, the each other being the main point, what are we doing in that process? We are teaching and admonishing each other, right? Um, we are functionally discipling each other. That's what the whole thing is all about. And so Paul says, you know what would be a great trajectory realignment? If in your life, every once in a while, you said, you know what I need to do? Am I focused on discipleship and discipling other people? Am I focused on being the kind of person who is speaking, admonishing, teaching the word of God into other people's lives? And am I allowing people to speak and admonish into my life? That's a good realignment, right? Because, again, oftentimes we can get to the point where we have nobody doing that in our lives. Do you remember back beginning of this church when we talked about the the one three twelve model, right? Just like Jesus, Jesus had twelve disciples who were his his cohort. He had three or four people who were his his 
inner circle, his bros, right? And they had one guy who was his best friend, and that was John, okay? And I said, that's a pretty good model for how we should lay out our discipleship relationships. We should have a group of about 12 people that we meet with on a regular basis to speak into their lives and have them speak into ours. In the context of this church, we call those small groups, right? Then we should probably have another group of people, three or four people um, at a max, who get together on a regular basis and maybe are a little tighter knit, a little more intimate in their conversations, a little more knowledgeable about each other's hearts and speaking truth into there, right? And so we don't have a formal group for that, but but I know that sometimes sometimes the, the men's group acts that way, sometimes the women's coffee acts that way. Some of us have those relationships just in general with people in the church. And then probably all of us need to have a one. We need to have one person who is our, maybe in the, maybe it's the, it looks like an accountability partner. Maybe it looks like just somebody who you are a little more intentional about with in relationships. Does it have to look exactly like that? No. But I think he's getting at this idea that's saying, you know, one of the things that we need to be focused on is those kind of relationships. All right. And so it's funny because a lot of us would look at that and go, man, Ash, I ain't got time to come to church and be in three different discipling relationships every week. And yet we can do stuff like work out three times a week. Now, I know what you're saying. You're like, I don't do that either, Ash. Right. And I get you. I don't do that. So I know that we have very busy lives and, and some things just get left to the wayside. All right, But it is interesting that we find time for the things that we are, are most important, and that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, you know what, this should be one of the things that you are constantly realigning your life with and saying, I need to be in relationships like this. Okay, um, But it doesn't just, it's just not just that. He also says we're supposed to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. So that's another thing that we do. Um, that's another realignment. And you could basically say, what is it when we are singing and making melody to the Lord? That's worship. Okay, worship is a realigning thing. Okay, so you look at your life and you say worship is one of these things that I should be doing all the time. It is a current that the world is pulling me from and the spirit should be pulling me to. And so I need to realign myself with worship. And so that means this kind of worship, right? Corporate worship in the church, um, but not just that, right? Personal times of worship and, and just worship in the way you live your daily life. Lots of people will try to give you the idea that, you know what, worship is a waste of time. Sometimes in our zeal, even as Christians, we'll be like, man, i got to get out there and do something. We just sit around and sing with each other all the time. We're wasting our time. We should be doing something wrong, right? That This is good and right and important. Worship is what you were made for. Worship is one of the things that you will be doing in eternity. Um, we will always be worshipers, okay? And so we're not wasting our time here. Even when there are good things out there that we could be doing other than this, this is a best thing that we are doing, right? To worship God. To sing and make melody um, with your heart to the Lord, okay? Verse 20. Third trajectory, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. What's that getting at? This one's more of less an action and more of an attitude, right? It's saying thanksgiving should be one of those things. We've already talked about covetousness last week, right? We drift from thankfulness. We drift from contentment. We are always being pulled by the world away from those things. And so Paul says, you know what? The umbrella on the beach is thankfulness. To always return to God and say, that's what I'm, I'm focused on. I'm focused on acting, thinking, believing towards you, God, like you have given me good and awesome things more than I ever deserved. Okay? 
realigning our lives all the time with that idea of, of thankfulness. Thankfulness is the antidote to covetousness. And it should probably be one of the, if not the, defining characteristic of our, of our Christian character. That's a bold statement. Thankfulness should be the defining characteristic of our Christian character. Okay? Um, and then one last thing. This last pullback, this last trajectory change, this last mark on the beach is... Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay? And we're going to talk a whole lot more about submitting to one another because next week we're going to talk about marriage. Okay? And so that's going to, that, that verse is going to take on a whole new context as we lead into it. And I think it's why Paul puts it right there, at least in part, is because of the shift and the lead-in that he's going to be talking about. But let's just take it for itself right here. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We should realign our hearts with service. We should realign our hearts with looking and saying, am I living for myself in this world or am I living for other people? Am I making other people's needs as important as my own or am I living in a way that uses other people um, as, as ways to fulfill my own happiness and, and desires and whatever else, right? It's another, and it, it can be so easy, right? You just sort of get into this this natural state where you drift from doing those things because it's easy to focus on ourselves. And all of a sudden we wake up and we go, man, I'm not um, lovingly serving anybody, right? I'm just either coasting or using the world around me. That's not what God's called us to. He's called us to realign to, to service, okay? So think about those four things. Just hold on to them in your head, right? Discipleship, worship, thanksgiving, service, okay? Those are great um, realigning points on the beach to make us recognize how far we've drifted and how far we need to come back to. Again, we're going we're gonna to dive into that submit, submitting to one another um, next week. Um, and so that's we're going to elaborate on that because we're really going to talk about it in different ways in terms of husbands and wives and parents and um, children and, and slaves and masters. Um, but... But we'll get to that in the next couple coming weeks, okay? And so what I want to do right now is just, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. And um, I want you to kind of think about these things, right? Go before God and ask him about these things um, in your own life, right? The three negatives and the four positives, okay? Do you look at your own life and find drift in those areas? Are you drifting from what is most important, Right? Are you drifting um, from making the most of your opportunities? Right? Are you drifting into patterns of life that, while maybe not blatantly evil, are the kind of things that waste time instead of redeem it? Right? They waste away your life instead of build it up. Three negatives and then four positives. Are you living a life that is aligning with discipleship, with worship? with thanksgiving, and with service. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father God, I assume that if, if everyone here's heart is, is similar to mine, God, that as I read this passage, um, I can think of a hundred ways that I am being pulled away from where I should be and a hundred ways in which I am not fighting the current and swimming back to, to the point of reference, which is um, what you have called us to in your word and in the character of Jesus Christ. Um, God, we, we are... We are zoomed in on the fact that the reason that we should submit to each other is out of reverence for you, um, out of reverence for Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ has served us, um, that he has given of his own life and his own body, his own blood, so that we could be saved. God, we are called to live as Christ has lived for us. God, help us to do that. Help us to continue to not be pulled away by the current, but to know what you have called us to and to live our lives as costly as it may be and often feels and seems and often is. God, help us to live those lives that you have called us to because at the end of the day, it is you that we are to be aligned to, um, that we are conforming ourselves to the image of Jesus Christ, Um, God, that we are being conformed by the Holy Spirit to the image of Jesus Christ, Um, that you are working in us through your grace and your mercy um, to make us more like your son, that we would be your children. Uh, We thank you. God, we praise you. We ask that you continue that work in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.